sandiego.com. Romans chapter 5, we'll pick up in verse 2, and uh, I want to talk to you tonight in this series about how suffering shapes us, how suffering shapes us. Not an exciting uh, experience in life, but something that is normal that we all go through. So let's pray one more time. Jesus, thank you so much for uh, this evening. Thank you that we are here in this place. Thank you for every single person who has come here tonight. It is not by coincidence that they're here hearing this teaching. God, I pray that you would speak to every single person in this place. I pray that you would use this subject to draw out things in their heart, struggles, pain, suffering, things that may be suppressed in their heart, that they haven't thought through in a long time, but the pain is still lingering. God, I pray that you would use this. May it be transformative and healing and hopeful. We love you, Jesus. We thank you that on the cross, you went through the most excruciating pain and suffering so that we could sit here and stand here tonight with hope. We love you, Jesus, and we worship you tonight in your name. And everyone said, we live in a broken world. And in the world that we live in, there's pain everywhere. We have all experienced suffering. Maybe today you are experiencing suffering. Suffering is, write this down, what is suffering? Suffering is the unpleasant and painful experiences we face in a broken world. I'll say that one more time. Suffering is the unpleasant and painful experiences we face in a broken world. And suffering comes in many forms. What you're going through, the pain, uh, the situations, the experiences that you're going through might be different than the person next to you. Maybe it's current, maybe it's past, maybe it's something that God is preparing for you in the future. Um, Suffering is unpleasant and it's painful. And one of the reasons I love the Bible is because it's so real and raw. It tells stories of men and women like you and I who have lived and experienced life in a broken world. Life where there's pain and messiness. Uh, The portrayal of humanity's uh, brokenness in the Bible is so raw. It tells so many stories of all of these flawed individuals who experience suffering as a result of living in a broken world. In fact, the book of Psalms is the longest book of the entire Bible. One-third of the book of Psalms is portrayals of human suffering. They're called lament psalms. They're excruciating. If you read them, the, the poetry is vivid and excruciating. They're graphic descriptions of human beings walking through this world in relationship with God, suffering, I say all of this to say that human history is full of people struggling through the brokenness of this world. Now, the world that we live in, outside of the biblical context, is a secular society. 
And in a secular world, there is no meaning, no answers, and no wisdom to suffering. A secular society looks at suffering and it's uncomfortable talking about it. That's why when you're a kid or maybe you're raising kids and they express pain or they express deep emotions or sadness, oftentimes parents will try to suppress that or fix that as quick as possible. Oh no, it's okay, you don't need to cry. That's a part of our conditioning in a secular society where we're uncomfortable with people's sadness and pain and the deep emotions in the human heart. A secular society views suffering as uncomfortable and oftentimes a secular society will deal with suffering by one of two ways, either fix it quickly or suppress it. Hence why so many of us, we grew up with traumatic events in our life, and when we hit our late 20s or 30s or 40s, all of a sudden these events start to surface and we see how they've affected our lives and our relationships because we suppressed the pain for so long. Conversely, Jesus teaches us that although suffering is hard and painful, we can find meaning and hope in the midst of it. Amen? Amen? Check this out. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5. He says this, Through Jesus, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. He's like, in the midst of everything that's occurred in this book, chapter one through chapter five, all that Jesus has done to rescue us and redeem us, we now rejoice in the hope that God is putting all things back together. That in the midst of all of this brokenness as humans and on this earth, that God one day will put all of this pain and brokenness back together and heal everything. Verse three, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I I want you to notice this. I want to draw your attention to uh, verses two and three. Because in verses two and three in Romans, we see that uh, there are two objects of joy or rejoicing. The first is in verse two. He says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The second is in verse three where it says, more than that, even more than rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God, we rejoice in our sufferings. You're like, what is that? Like, who rejoices in pain? Who rejoices in traumatic events that we go through in our lives on this earth in the midst of all of this brokenness? Well, I want you to, I want you to notice something here. When he says in verse two, we hope in the glory of God, he's talking about our future. He's talking about the fact that verses, or chapters one through five of Romans are all about what Jesus has done for us, how he's rescued us, saved us, redeemed us, how he's gonna fix us one day. The glory of God here isn't necessarily referring to like God's presence or being in God's presence. It's referring to the image of God and the design of God in Genesis chapter one and two. And how someday God is going to fix 
all of our humanity and brokenness and failures and flaws, and we are going to be perfect just as God designed us to be in the future. Like, that's awesome. Like, one day, you'll have no flaws, no sin, no sickness, no pain. Everything will be just as God intended it in his original design. So that's the future. But, you know, you read that and you think, well, wait a minute, what about the present? And that's the question he answers next. He says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Let me give you a little context. The book of Romans was written because uh, the, the emperor of Rome kicked the Jews out of Rome in early Christianity. Five years later, they were allowed to come back to Rome, but the church now was run, led by Gentiles, non-Jews. And so the Jews come back into Rome, they come back into the church, and there's this just conflict and infighting. The culture of the church has changed, and so there's a relational dynamic that's uneasy here. The, the Jewish believers are struggling, so there's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of uh, uh, relational suffering taking place, and he writes out of that. He says, I know in the present what you're going through. I know there's a future reality to look forward to, but your present reality is hard, and so I want to teach you something about suffering, how it shapes our life. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, I talk about suffering a lot, and one of the things I like to dispel and deconstruct in the Christian world is we don't rejoice in pain. We don't rejoice in trauma. We don't rejoice when we go through a really difficult time. That's not what the Bible is teaching here. That's a, that's a, a, a misinterpretation of uh, Romans chapter 5, James chapter 1. The Bible isn't teaching you when you go through an excruciating and difficult time in your life to say, oh, I'm so glad for my pain. I'm so glad for my suffering. The Bible is teaching you that you're rejoicing. The object of your rejoicing is not the pain, the suffering, the trauma that you're going through, but the object of your rejoicing is God himself. Because God can take the greatest pain in your life and he can redeem it, he can heal you, he can be present with you, he can shape you through that pain in ways that no one else can. And so when the Bible says we rejoice in our suffering and maybe today you have all of this pain inside, don't think that God really wants you to rejoice in the pain. He wants you to rejoice in him who can change you and shape you and heal you and be present with you. We rejoice in our sufferings. Notice this term suffering. It comes from a Greek term, thalipsis. And the term here means pressure. Literally, that's the idea of the term. It was a term uh, that was used in the first century and before of squeezing olives in a press in order to extract the oil or squeezing grapes to extract the juice. You had to put pressure to get the content that you wanted. It's like those citrus squeezers, right? You guys use those? We were looking for one for a year. Because we have a, a color palette in our house, black, white, and gray. And so we would go from store to store looking for a citrus squeezer because I would always be using my hands, right? Like, and that doesn't work so well. You like cut it and you like cut it in small pieces and then you squeeze it. Uh, and 
we would always find yellow or green, which did not go with the color of flow of our house, black, white, and gray. So uh, finally, about a month and a half ago, we found a black citrus squeezer. It was amazing. And we use it all the time. And that's the idea. Like, you have to squeeze it and then the contents come out. But the idea here is that life is really hard sometimes. Some of you, your life is excruciating right now. Some of you feel pressure and stress. Some of you are dealing with mental health struggles, anxiety, depression. Some of you are dealing with relational struggles. Uh, some of you are dealing with money suffering, suffering over finances. Some of you are dealing with situations that you won't tell anybody about, but you feel it in your soul every single day, a heaviness, a pressure, a stress. And you would say tonight, life is hard. You would say, I've gone through things in my life that are extremely painful. The story of Job is a story that I relate to, and I've learned so much about suffering from. Job is a, a book in the Old Testament that a lot of people are afraid to read because it's so raw. Job was the most influential human being on the earth during his time. He was a businessman. He was a spiritual influence uh, par excellence, meaning greater than anyone during his time. And he had everything. He had a family. He had property. He had employees. Uh, he had a, a great wife. Everything was going for Job. He was the man during his days. He was like Bill Gates and LeBron James combined. And everything was going great, but there was an exchange in heaven. Satan cast doubt on Job's faith. He's like, God, the only reason that this guy follows you, that this guy trusts you, is because you put a hedge of protection around him, and his life is extremely blessed. Like, he's got everything. He's got no troubles, no problems. So if you just do something with his life, if you take away some things in his life, if you cause some suffering uh, in his life or allow me to cause some suffering, pardon me, then surely he will not follow you anymore. In the story of Job, God is not the agent of Job's suffering. God simply allowed it to happen. So what does Satan do? Satan begins to attack Job's life. And through a series of devastating events. He loses everything. He loses his children, his property, all of his money, all of his staff. He loses even his wife who said, curse God and die, Job. And in chapter three, read this tonight. In chapter three, he is so depressed and he is despairing of life itself that he says, God, why did you ever create me in the first place? It is so raw and vivid. He said, I wish I was never born. I wish I was never conceived. Life is too painful. Why was I ever birthed in the womb? Uh, this is too hard, God. I wish you never created me. And for about 30-something chapters, 
Job is struggling with the pain. He lost his health. That was the last thing that he lost. He had a disease that ravaged his body. He was in pain every day. He was struggling through his suffering. And for 30-something chapters, he had three friends who were religious and supposedly new theology that just railed on him chapter after chapter after chapter. They were theological, but they missed God, and they were terrible friends. And at the end of the story, this man who experienced suffering uh, more pervasive than most of us will ever experience in our life, at the end of the story, he keeps his faith in God, God restores him, and he blesses him twice as much as he was blessed before. But his season of pain was excruciating and terrible. I told you before I... I write and speak on suffering and mental health. And people sometimes are like, why would you talk about suffering? Like, what? That's, not a, that's not an exciting subject, right? Like nobody, want, nobody wakes up one day and is like, oh my, I wanna, I wanna tell the world about suffering. But my life has been really hard. I grew up in an immensely broken home. I had four fathers, two of them went to prison. I don't have time to expound upon that. So I grew up in a really dysfunctional, really hard, a lot of painful, traumatic events in my childhood. And I came to uh, faith in Jesus. I, I was a basketball player in my city, and I, uh, I had one Christian friend who played basketball. And I was not a Christian for sure. And he would go to church and we would make fun of him. Like, why aren't you just playing basketball? Like, why will you go to church? And so eventually one day we followed him to his youth group and we were going to make fun of all the church kids. And uh, we ended up playing basketball outside because they had a full court lighted basketball court. It was like heaven opened. (laughs) And uh, through... Uh, just being there, I, I met the youth pastor. Uh, of, I knew nothing about Jesus in the Bible, and over a period of time, I came to learn about Jesus and the cross and the Bible, and I put my faith in Jesus. And I began following him. I went to this awesome church, which is the same church that my wife went to, uh, except it was 8,000 people, and it was hard to meet you know, people in a church of 8,000. But eventually, we met, and we were a couple months into dating. I never thought she would date me, so I didn't ever approach her, but um, she saw something in me, which was an absolute miracle. Uh, and eventually we started dating. Well, a couple months into dating, she was in a very serious car accident. And uh, over a period of months, she started losing uh, all feeling um, in the left side of her body. Um, and they eventually did surgery and when they did surgery, they saw that the damage in her spine was, was pretty serious, so severe that she would have been paralyzed if they waited any longer. She had a bone that was almost severing her sciatic nerve and other damage, uh, so she had a pretty, uh, a pretty serious surgery, um, and because she was almost paralyzed, uh, she, we eventually got married um, sometime after her surgery, and uh, because of that, she's lived in terrible pain, uh, the entirety of our relationship. Um, So bad that 
for four, four or five years, she slept maybe one to two hours a night, which is pretty bad if you study sleep deprivation. Um, well, six years ago, 10 years ago, we planted a church in Eugene, Oregon called Ecclesia. It was incredible. Uh, the church started in our living room in, in an apartment. We started a Bible study. Uh, I started teaching through the Gospel of John. Within 90 days, there was uh, 90 college students in our apartment, sitting in sinks in every room, listening to the Bible study. Um, and every year, the church kept growing and growing. After year five, there's over 2,000 people, and we had a couple campuses in Eugene, Oregon, which is a college town. And it was like a dream for church planting, except when a church plant grows really fast, it's really hard. And so we're in this like amazing journey. We planted this church. It's like, it's growing like super fast. We're reaching all these people. Uh, all these college students are coming to believe in Jesus, follow Jesus. Uh, we're having a, a big impact in the Northwest. And one night she was with her team. She was trying to pass off a bunch of work. Uh, she's, she's an artist. She's a creative. And she had a whole, whole team of creatives. And she's trying to pass off more of her responsibilities. And she's driving home and she gets in another car accident. And it's changed our whole life. For the last five years, she's been in and out of surgeries. Doctors have been trying to figure out the extent of what's wrong with her because the second she got in that car accident, she was a different person. Everybody knew like something drastic and serious happened to her. Well, April of last year, I had returned from a trip to Israel with our church and we had a major appointment with uh, a, a brain expert that she had been uh, seeing. Uh, a team of neurosurgeons had been studying her brain for a couple years um, because they thought that something was wrong with her uh, as far as an injury in her brain. And uh, they found stuff, but they kept searching because uh, it was so complex. And we had a major appointment in April of last year, and... On that day, our life got even harder. She was diagnosed with a serious, serious brain condition, progressive brain condition. Uh, and basically, she was diagnosed with a condition uh, similar to uh, in sports like CTE, uh, but it's something that they can see where she has multiple traumatic brain injuries. She's losing her memory. She lost a lot of who she was. And that's why, why we notice something. But uh, she has uh, dementia. Uh, and we've been living through deep, deep pain and suffering. In the midst of all of these amazing things happening in our life, we've been just struggling with brokenness and mental health and suffering and pain. And so when I teach on suffering, I don't teach on this from somebody that's like, oh, you know, I went to, to graduate school, I have a couple master's degrees, and I just want to tell you about a bunch of theories. No, I'm teaching on this because this is the passion of my life, and I feel like I can help people and give people hope because this is the life that we're living. And so when God says, when God says, notice here, we rejoice in our sufferings, 
the pressure, the stress, the painful moments in life. In my life, suffering has shaped my life and heart more than anything else. I wouldn't choose it, but since it's been a part of my life, it's shaped my faith, it's shaped how I relate to people, it's shaped how I view the world, it shapes how I communicate, it shapes my character more than anything else in my life. And that's exactly what God is saying here. He's saying we rejoice in our sufferings because God is with us and God can redeem our pain for the good. Notice how, notice a few things here. Knowing that suffering produces, what do you mean? The idea of suffering producing something in our life simply means this. Suffering produces a chain link of virtues in our life. God can take these painful experiences and moments and he can redeem them for the good, just like God can do with anything. He says, okay, you've gone through this, but I'm gonna use this in your life for something good. I'm gonna produce virtue in your life out of your pain. So I want you to notice this. If you write things down, if you take notes, write this down. Number one, here's the chain link of virtues. Number one, suffering produces endurance. Suffering produces endurance. What's endurance? It comes from a Greek term, hupamone. It means uh, literally uh, patient endurance or to stay under. The idea is that you keep going, you keep moving forward, you keep enduring despite the pain or the opposition or the exact nature of the suffering in your life. The literal idea is the ability to remain under difficulties without wavering and in the meantime, and as a result, you become stronger by them. So our suffering produces endurance. We keep going. We don't quit. We don't give up. We don't say, oh, Jesus, because I'm going through this or I've gone through this, I'm gonna give up on you. I'm gonna walk away from you. God says, no, as you endure, I begin to shape you. I begin to shape you from the inside out. In other words, God would say to us today, in whatever pain that we're going through, keep going, keep going. When you give up, you lose the growth and the development of the chain link of virtues that God wants to produce in you through your pain and your suffering. Secondly, notice the next verse. And endurance produces character. So suffering produces endurance, this idea of uh, uh, patient endurance. Any of you runners in here? Anybody run? How about just like run for fun? Is that a thing, like run for fun? Like I was a runner, I was a basketball player and a runner, uh, high school, college, and uh, I, I remember like being on the track and uh, going, I, I did the, the 400, and we would run for like an hour, 400 after 400 after 400, and like that's painful. Anybody in here do the 400? Okay, it's, and doing that for an hour, one after the other, after the other, I like, you wanna vomit, it's painful. But as an athlete, you know that's gonna make you better. If you keep going, if you stay on the track, if you don't give up, that's gonna make you better and stronger and uh, more apt to be successful in the 400. Suffering produces endurance, but endurance produces character. 
Like, isn't that what we want as followers of Jesus? For God to take who we used to be and the mistakes that we once made and the way that we were once living and totally change our heart and renovate it and make us new and give us a brand new start in a brand new chapter with a brand new story in our life. God takes the pain in my life and the pain in your life and he uses it as you keep going to produce character. This is an interesting term too. It's a term that literally means tested character or proven character. It was used in the first century of testing gold and silver to demonstrate its purity. So if somebody sold gold or silver, it would be put in the fire and uh, all the dross, all that was impure would be burned off and just the pure gold or silver would be left. That's this term. Sometimes the pain in our life, although we don't want it, we're not excited about it, we would love to evade it, sometimes that pain really deepens our character, doesn't it? I mean, I just think of even like, seven years ago or six years ago, I'm not the same person that I was six years ago. I even think about leading the church I led and, and how I taught and how I related to people and encouraged people and pastored people. I am not the same individual I was six years ago. The pain in my life has changed my character in a way that I relate to people differently. I see people differently. I love people differently. And it's changed my character and deepened my character. And you know, there's some things that are tested when we're going through tough times. Even my relationship with my wife, as she's going through pain and, and you begin to learn, wow, a lot, of, uh, a lot of how you relate to that pain isn't good, isn't helpful, isn't loving. And so God changes you so you can become more loving and caring and supportive to that person. That's character transformation. And this is character that has been tested and found approved. In fact, in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One writer wrote, after one endures many difficulties, strength of character develops that was not present previously. So God's like, keep going. And God also says, keep growing. Don't give up. Don't stop. Because as you keep going, you're going to continue to grow and your character is going to deepen and you're going to be shaped and renovated from the inside out. And you're going to become a different person as far as your character is concerned. And then notice, thirdly, in this chain link of virtues that God builds through our suffering. He says, suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Character produces hope. Like, what is hope, right? I always say this, you know, when I'm teaching the Bible, it's like, we have all of these words in Christianity, but a lot of us, we don't know the definition, right? Like, what is hope? 
Hope is an expectation. Hope is looking forward to something. And let me just tell you something. When you're living in long-term pain and suffering, it's hard to have hope. Faith is easy when it's easy, but faith is hard when it's hard. There's so many days over the last five years that I didn't want to get out of bed, that I felt so discouraged in my soul, asking God, God, where's the hope in this? What do I have to look forward to? What does my wife have to look forward to? Being in the doctors and hospitals and in pain every day, and it's only been exasperated by this second accident that she's gone through. What does she have to look forward to? Do we have any hope to look forward to in our life? And that's a real struggle. Even Job went through that. Even Joseph in the Old Testament went through that. Joseph was this awesome young dude who had these dreams from God that he was going to rule over all of his brothers. And they were like, "Uh uh-uh, Joseph. Like, we don't like that dream. So one day they plotted to kill him. They decided not to. They decided to throw him in a a hole. Uh, Literally, they threw him in a ditch. Then he was sold, uh, basically, into slavery. Uh, And uh, he went to Egypt. He was taken away from his dad. He was taken away from his family. He was taken away from his homeland. And God had favor on him. He raised him up in this powerful guy's house. The problem is that the man's wife had the hots for Joseph. So she was always coming on to him. And he was always deflecting. Until one day, she just came at to him, came at him so strongly And he ran out of the house. She falsely accused him of attempting to rape her, and he was put into prison. Think of that guy's life. His his brothers disown him. He has no family any longer. He's falsely accused. He's in prison. What is God going to do out of this mess? And he's just sitting there. Day after day after day after day, his life was hard. But he had a relationship with God. And God had given him a dream. And he knew someday that dream would come to pass, although it probably was murky and muddied by the suffering and the pain that he was experiencing in his life. But he began to interpret some dreams in the prison. Those interpretations uh, led him to interpret the Pharaoh's dream Interpreting the Pharaoh's dream allowed him to leave prison. Leaving prison allowed him to be raised up as the second in command in Egypt, and he ended up saving his family from famine, and he saved his line, which out of his line came Jesus. But hope is hard when life is painful. Hope is centered on God. But hope, listen to this, Hope is honest. Sometimes in Christianity, when I, when I hear people talking about hope, it's so rah-rah. Like, oh, everything's going to work out for the good. It's going to be awesome. Be joyful in the Lord. But you're like, and I'm like, no, no, it's really painful and it hurts a lot. And you just don't know the trauma, the pain, the suffering, 
that I'm going through. So I use this term honest hope. What's honest hope? Honest hope is allowed to feel the pain and the struggle and the suffering. It's allowed to be okay not being okay. In addition to that, honest hope says, even in the midst of accepting and embracing the emotions of hardship and pain, I still believe that God is present and God has given me hope. I think honest hope is the hope that the Bible teaches. It's a hope centered on God, but it's honest about the difficulty of pain and suffering. I like what some of these writers wrote about this. As believers suffer, they develop steadfastness. That quality deepens their character, and a deep and tested character results in hope that God will see them through. Another writer wrote, Steadfast endurance leads to the quality of testedness, and this in turn to hope. For the Christian who has been tested has proved God's faithfulness and will surely hope the more confidently. Another writer wrote, just as resistance to a muscle strengthens it, anybody lift weights in here? No? A couple of you? Yeah. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Just as resistance to a muscle strengthens it, so challenges to our hope can strengthen it as well. God never promises that following Jesus is going to be easy. God never says, you come to believe in Jesus, he washes away your sin, he forgives you, he redeems you, he begins to reshape your story, and everything's going to be awesome and easy, and you're going to be happy all the time. Uh, does anybody have that life? No. No, sometimes life is really hard and painful. But in the midst of that pain, we have hope. And our hope is centered on God. But I want you to check out what this says at the end of this uh, section. Notice verse five. And hope does not put us to shame. In other words, our hope will never be disappointed. We will never be disappointed by God and how faithful he is in our life and how he uses the bad things in our life for the good. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then notice verse eight. But God shows his love for us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Check out this connection in this chain link of virtues that God is building in our lives through our suffering. He's shaping us. Here's the thing. Hope will never disappoint us as followers of Jesus. Why? The foundation of your hope is God's love. Okay, so you're like, this is great. I, I see the flow. I see kind of the chain link of virtues. But what sustains me? What sustains me when I'm realizing and trying to work through the trauma that I went through in my childhood? What sustains me when all of a sudden I'm dealing with being raped and I'm trying to process it and move forward in my life? What sustains me when my health is so bad and my suffering is so immense that I just struggle to even survive each and every day? Answer, God's love. God's love has been poured out in your heart through the Holy Spirit. He has filled your heart with the love of God. And not only that, 
but God's love was demonstrated in Jesus Christ on the cross. When we were at our worst, God gave us his best love. And there is no example in humanity of love as great as Jesus Christ dying for wandering, imperfect, sinful human beings. God loves you. And in the midst of your pain and your brokenness, God loves you. In the midst of your struggles, as you are facing suffering, God loves you. In the midst of the messiness of suffering, because suffering isn't easy, it's messy, right? And sometimes we feel like we're a mess. God loves you. And that love is seen and exemplified in the cross, but it's also experienced subjectively in your heart because the Spirit of God dwells in every heart that believes and follows Jesus. And I share this all the time. There is no reality in the person of God that has sustained me more than God encouraging my heart day in and day out with his love. And some of you need to hear that tonight. Some of you need to know as you are dealing with suffering, dealing with pain, struggling, brokenness in your life, that in the midst of this, God loves you and God is for you and God is with you and God will see you through and hope will never be disappointed in your life because God has given you his love and shown you his love in Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus, thank you for every single person here. I pray right now that in the quietness of our hearts that we would process and ponder this truth, the truth of how you shape us through suffering, how you can take what the enemy has meant for evil or what people have done, for, done to us in evil ways or just the reality of living in a broken world and experiencing these common aspects of suffering in humanity, how you can take any of that and you can use it and redeem it for good. God, I pray that you would encourage people in here. I pray that if there's people struggling with hope, that you would grant them hope. Hope to see that their pain is not their entire story. In fact, they are not what they are going through. Their identity is not in their suffering, but their identity is in a God who loves them, a God who has given them hope, a God that is with them through every struggle, every moment of pain, who himself went through pain and suffering to a greater degree than I will ever experience in my life so that he could relate to us and care for us and help us and show his love to us as we're walking through our pain and suffering. God bless every person in here. I pray for hearts that don't know Jesus, that today they would believe that Jesus Christ, God's son, died on the cross to give them hope and life and forgiveness, that he is the savior of the world, that he is worthy of their life and their faith and to be followed.
And I pray, Lord, that they today would experience your love. I pray that you would heal us, God, and that you would help us through whatever we're going through in our life. Encourage every person here, Jesus, in your name. Amen.